0: This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22, and uh, you can take out your... Message notes uh, from your handout. And uh, this is our final week in our L- Red Letter Love series. We're going through the words of Jesus, studying how he loves us and how we are to love one another as well. And uh, Luke chapter 22. I've never uh, studied the Passover. And on a Sunday morning, for whatever reason, we've just never gone through it. We've gone through it on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. Uh, we've never gone through it on a Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to going through The Old Testament Passover tonight, we're going to go through the New Testament Passover. Uh, But before I begin, I have to uh, welcome someone who's brand new. Max was born 12 days ago, and he's in our service for the first time. I think he is right here. So let's welcome little Max McBeath to our service. And uh, just awesome to see God uh, growing uh, our church and our families and also... Uh, Dana is here, and they just had a baby as well, so you welcome these new parents, uh, and we had a few new parents in the first service as well, and so we're always excited. I mean, hey, our name is New Life, right? So you got you to welcome all the new, uh, the new uh, members of our body. We're thankful for the kids. They, they're starting a brand new series today, and next week, we will start a brand new series entitled Against All Odds. We're going to go to some stories in the Old Testament that you're going to have to look up to believe they're in the Old Testament. They're, it's going to be a fun study. I'm looking forward to it. But today, uh, we are going to be studying the passionate love of Jesus from the Passover, the passion of the Christ. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's read a couple verses, starting in verse number 19. It says in Luke chapter 22, in verse number 19, He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it unto them. The disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would please help us as we study the Passover, what it means uh, to us personally, what it means for us corporately as a body help us as we look toward the broken body and the blood that was shed, help us to be so thankful for it. Would you please enlighten our hearts with your grace? Would you, Lord, encourage us by your love? May we understand, Lord, that your passion is to connect with us and to connect us back to God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jesus was a pretty passionate guy. He ran into the temple. He beat out the money changers. He turned over the tables. He was pretty passionate. Every person in this room has a passion, and uh, Mike Jones was a, was a race car driver who his passion was driving in a circle, okay? So uh, maybe that's not your passion, but that was his passion, and and he risked his life every single time. Uh, he he risks his life every time he gets into uh, a race car, and, and one day he was, uh, in the month of June, he was getting in his car, and he was running his race. He was riding in his race car, and this happened. I want you to see it. Mike Jones was behind the wheel of car 39 on Virginia's South Boston Speedway when he spun out of control. After smashing into the wall at nearly 100 miles an hour, the stock car burst into flames. It's a driver's worst nightmare for sure. Once I saw the flames, um, it was just get out as quick as I could. Just seconds after coming to a stop, Dean Jones says he did what any dad would do. I just had a single focus, get my son out of that burning car. Nothing else mattered. Jumping the pit wall, running to his son's burning car and pulling him from the wreckage as flames exploded around them. When I saw the flames, nothing was going to stop me from getting to his car. The father and son duo have always shared a lifelong love of racing. Dean Jones is Mike's pit crew chief. The dad making this save on Father's Day weekend. The feeling that I felt when I pulled him out of the car was just a sense of relief that my son was alive. It's, It's really kind of hard to put in words. So Dean Jones saw his son in the wreckage, saw the flames coming up from the car, and he had one passion. And that was to save his son from those burning flames. That was his singular passion. Jesus came, and when he came with his ministry, he had one passion. And the reason why the cross or the crucifixion is known as the passion of Christ, in fact, there's a movie called The Passion of the Christ, why is it called the passion. Well, the reason why the cross is called the passion is because the Latin word for suffer or crucifixion is literally, it means that that suffering, that anguish. In fact, we get the word passion from the Greek word suffer, okay, pascao, and it's the word for experiencing pain or enduring misery or anguish. And so the passion of Jesus Christ was not just to have pain. The passion of Jesus Christ was to connect us to God. His passion was to come to lay down his life so that we could be reconnected with God. Adam and Eve severed that connection to the garden. They decided to define good and evil on their own terms. And so now we have Jesus, the second Adam, coming to give his life. His passion is to give us grace. Here's a a key thought. Just as we begin, uh, he's passionate about being with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. His passion is to give grace to us. Uh, That grace is undeserved. He came down. He did not have to come down to us, but he came down as God in the flesh to give grace to us. He was full of grace and truth. And then he's passionate about loving God us. He wants to show his love to us so that we then can show his love through us to others. Now, that is his passion, and the passion of Jesus Christ is seen through this Passover meal that is described in Luke chapter 22. Now, I have to give you uh, kind of some background. The The Passover started in, in Exodus, the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt, And it continued all the way up until the cross. And so this context is Jesus talking about the new covenant, okay? So he's describing a covenant that was fresh and new, but it was not based on anything we could do. It was based on everything he was doing. So he is in the old covenant right now, in the Old Testament, and he's talking about a new covenant that was about to happen at his death, burial, and resurrection. At the death of Jesus there was a new testament a new promise a new covenant that was made and it was a covenant of grace it was not a covenant based on sacrifices that we have to do it was a covenant based on what jesus was had had done or was going to do okay so there are three parts to the passover that show the red letter love of jesus i want to show you this i think it'll be a help uh, and an encouragement to you as we study this now number 1 the passion of christ produces his presence when we understand the passion of jesus christ we understand the love of jesus christ when we understand why he came we understand that his presence was given to us as a gift now you can reject his presence There's people every single day on this planet who do not want to be with Christ. And the reason why there is a Christless hell, the reason why there is an eternity without Christ is because God gives us the choice. He is not so unloving that he would force anyone on this planet to be with him through eternity. So if there are are those who choose not to be with him, and he is loving enough to give them that choice, And so you you say, why would God send anyone to hell? God does not. God provides a way for you to choose. Those who are without Christ in eternity have chosen that. Okay, So that's really important. But his presence, once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, his presence is with us. Now, the disciples had chosen to follow Jesus. They had chosen to be in his presence physical presence. We choose to follow Jesus. We welcome his presence as the form of the spirit in us, okay? But but he is here in person in verse number 14 and it says and when the hour, everyone say hour, when the hour was come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. Now, the word hour is the word hora, it literally means a fitting moment when the fitting moment had come, when, when, when all of these things that were, were happening in his life and in the life of the disciples, it all led up to this specific period, this hora, this hour. It wasn't a 60-minute period. It was an actual moment. It all accumulates to this. It all points to this, okay? Now, uh, let me illustrate this. On a wedding day, there is a lot of work and preparation that goes into that specific period, that moment, right? Uh, I mean, unless it's just, you know, Vegas, you know, let's just do it. No, no, but a wedding day is a culmination of a lot. Now, uh, you know, as as a groom, I just showed up. Okay, I'll just be honest with you. I went to one planning meeting with Danielle and uh, man they were talking about colors and 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 certain flowers and we had a Christmas wedding, so they all this Christmas decor and I about 5 minutes into that I was glazed over. I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to show up. I remember the morning of my wedding it was so weird. I woke up, put on my suit, and I'm like, "Well, here it goes." You <laughs> know, drove to the church, you know, and and man they had everything was everywhere and lots of people doing stuff and I just showed up. Okay. Now, the reason you prepare for a wedding is not to make it special. You prepare because it is special. Jesus is going to give us lots of details, like five or six verses about the preparation for his Passover meal with the disciples. The reason the preparation was so important was not just because so the disciples knew it was important. No, they knew it was important. He was asking them to prepare, to prepare them. He was letting them know, hey, I am I am having this moment with you, this aura, this moment, because I want my presence to be felt with you, not just in this moment, but in the moments to come. And so look at verse number eight of chapter 22, because it shows you the preparation that I'm talking about. <clears throat> Peter and John um, were... were you know, pointing out the fact that it was Passover. So he says, uh, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. So he sent Peter and John there. And verse number eight, they said, well, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, behold, um, when ye entered into the city. So, this is talking about the old Jerusalem right now, and, and he's going to tell them something that's going to happen. So, he's literally predicting the future. So, he's like, I'm going to tell you how to prepare for the Passover. Here's how you do it. Uh, there's a man that will meet you bearing a pitcher of water. So, he had a big pitcher of water probably on his shoulder. Follow him into the house where he enters in. So, I mean, here you're, you're following a random stranger. That's carrying a pitcher of water into his house. Okay, I wouldn't recommend this, okay, unless Jesus tells you specifically to do it. But verse number 11, it gets even stranger. He he uh, shall say to to the, you, you'll say to the man of the house, um, the master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? So literally, you're going to follow a random stranger into his house. And you're going to say, hey, uh, where where can we have dinner tonight? in your house, right? And he's going to say, he will show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready. So prepare. They went, found he, found the guy, just as Jesus has said, and they made ready the Passover. All of this preparation was leading up to a moment, not so that they could brag about how ready they had done, but so that they could realize that Jesus was preparing not just the meal, Jesus was preparing them for what would happen at the meal. Let me tell you something that's really important. Tonight, we are going to have the Lord's table. Tonight as a church, we are going to uh, drink the juice which represents the blood that was spilt for the salvation of our souls, for the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to break the bread, uh, and and this is not a large meal. This is a very small meal. The Bible tells us to have a very small meal. It's not about the consumption. It's about the representation of the broken body and the blood. But, But I will tell you, it's really important for us to understand that when we come into this, we can either take this worthily, as the Bible says, or unworthily. In fact, notice this is a verse we'll study tonight in your in your notes. Um, it's uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. It says, um, "Wherefore, uh, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord." Whoa! I don't want to be. Guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. I mean, that is heavy. In fact, Paul continues on in in, in chapter eleven. He says some took it unworthily, and they're dead. Ooh. They got sick. Ooh, and man, that's tough. That's really heavy, right? So you say, well, what does it mean to take the the blood and the you know take the Lord's table unworthily? Well, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, well, leading up to it perfect, because that would disqualify all of us. Here's what it means. Here's a key thought. Worthiness is not about how we are doing. Worthiness is how open and honest we are being about how much we can't do it without him. So when we come in tonight, the the, the idea is not, oh, look at how good I've been doing, and so I'm ready. I am worthy to take the just i am worthy no 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 that is taking it unworthily the worthiness is not our worthiness it is jesus's worthiness so we come in and we're like man i am such a sinner and i am so broken i am not worthy but he is worthy he is worthy and so i am taking it based on his worthiness. So Jesus sits there. He sits down. This is the word uh, anapipto. It, it literally means to lean back. They would sit down. <clears throat> Everything you've seen about the Lord's table uh, with the, you know, the seats and the, you know, Jesus and, and and all that. That's just, Michelangelo did a great job painting, but a horrible job of knowing the context. So they would sit on this rug on the floor, there would be a large board. We would call it a charcuterie board, whatever that is. Uh, but we would call it, you know, like a just a, a slab of wood. They would sit down, and because the wood was on the ground, they would have to lean down, okay? And they would just lean on their left or their right arm, generally on their left arm if they're right-handed. They would lean on their left arm, and they would just pick and choose and, you know, dip and whatever. And, you know, a lot of times they would lean on each other. No personal bubble back then. They were kissing, hugging each other. I mean, just all up in each other's grill. You know, that's just how they rolled. And so they would, they sat down, they leaned into one another. And there's a word play here in verse number 15. Look at it. Verse 15, because he says, with desire. So he sits down in verse 14. He leans in physically But then he leans in emotionally, spiritually, mentally. He says, with desire, I have desired, passion, okay? To eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he says, hey, listen, I am passionate about this. And Jesus' love was to, uh, Jesus' passion was to show his love and to nourish the disciples, both bodily, yeah, physically, absolutely, but also to nourish them mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So I want to show you this because what we're talking about, the Passover, you say, well, what's the big deal? It is one of the common threads that is woven through all of the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament scriptures. Now, so the light bulb is going to start going on. You're going to start seeing some of this, okay? So uh, let's let's go to a very famous passage of scripture, uh, and, and it's in your notes, uh, Psalm 23. Okay, Psalm 23. It says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, so now we're talking about shepherd and sheep. That's important, okay? Uh, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. In green pastures, the word lie down literally means to incline, okay, like, like the Hebrew word of pipto, right? So he's leaning there by the on the pastures. He's leaving me besides still water, so he's giving them to drink, nourishing them. See where we're going with this, okay? Uh, he restores my soul. He leads me by the paths of righteousness. It's not my worthiness. It's his worthiness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Passover was because the angel of death was going to pass over. It it was the valley of the shadow. The death angel was the shadow of death. And so this is referencing many things, uh, Valley of El, uh, the, the, the Kidron Valley, but also uh, the, the, the Passover when the firstborn of every uh, Egyptian home was killed. Okay, the valley of the shadow of death. I will feel no evil for thou art with me. His presence is there. Thy rod and thy staff. This is again talking about a shepherd, talking about the sheep, talking about the Passover lamb. How do we know that? They comfort me. Thou preparest a... A what a table this is talking about the Lord's table. this is talking about the Passover. Uh, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies uh, thou anointest my head with oil uh, that's that's a really important significant about the anointed one about the Christ being the Lamb of God which take away the sin of my cup so you see the cup you see the waters. My cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and now and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see the Lord has given us all of the imagery in the Old Testament. He wants us to understand that this Passover is his presence coming to be with us. Now let me encourage you. That is one psalm. There are many others that point to the presence of God wanting to be with us. You say, how can I welcome the presence of God into my, into my life, into my home every single day? Let me tell you how. Here's just one practical way. I would encourage you, and I've done this since I was in college. I would pick one psalm every week, and I would read that psalm every single week. And, and now listen, I, I, I use Evernote for, for, for writing down things that God's speaking to me about from, from, from his work. You can read you can use whatever you like. If you like paper and pen, use paper and pen. Man, you you kill as many trees as you want, okay? But, but listen, for, for, for me, that works. You get some system that works for you, but I would encourage you, read a psalm. You will see Jesus in the psalms. You, you will be encouraged by the psalms. So pick a psalm, read it daily, and you'll see some of these things that are woven throughout scripture. So the passion of Christ. Christ is passionate about connecting us with his presence through the Spirit, but also with the presence of God. All right, number two, the body of Christ provides his grace. So we see the body of Christ in the Passover is seen in the unleavened bread. Look at verse number seven. It says, there came the day, the day of unleavened bread. So that was a specific day in the calendar year. It was at the end of their calendar year. And the Passover, that when the Passover must be killed. Wait a second, the whole holiday should be killed? No. The Passover, it's implied the Passover lamb would be killed. Now, you say, well, what, what do you mean the Passover lamb? Well, well. Let's, let's look at what it was talking about. Well, I put it in your notes. We'll put it on the screen. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 talks about the Passover lamb. He says, you'll keep it the 14th day, the same month. Uh, The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it, the Passover lamb, in the evening. And they shall take thereof the blood and strike it on the two sides of the doorpost. Okay, you would never strike it on the threshold because you do not trample the blood. Okay, it's a picture of the covering of the blood of Jesus. All right? And so you put it on your houses and then you'll eat the Passover lamb. You'll eat that. Now, the disciples were coming and they were asking Hey, Jesus, it's time for the Passover lamb to be killed. Do you want us to buy it? Where do you want us to get the lamb? And it's the exact same question that Isaac was asking Abraham in this exact same place. Many believe it was the exact same uh, vicinity from this upper room, that they were standing right here. Okay, This is the upper room here, the outside, they believe. Uh, this is the, the inside. It would have looked much more like this. Okay, would have, would have been a little bit more rustic than the other uh, more gothic-looking room. But, but either way, uh, they, they would have been in an upper room, and, and they would have been questioning, hey, where's the lamb? And Jesus is, is, with his presence, saying what John, and I put this in your notes, John 1, uh, 29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. See, Jesus was the Passover Lamb. So they were asking, hey, where is the Lamb? And Jesus sa- is saying, I am right here. And so let's continue reading in Exodus. So as the Passover unfolded, he, uh, they, you know, Moses is saying what God is wanting them to say. And in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 11, he says this. He says, uh, so, so get ready. You know, you're going to run out of Egypt. And so get your staff in hand. And then you'll eat this Passover lamb. And you'll pass through the land of Egypt this night. And uh, he's going to smite the firstborn. I already talked about that. And and then when you when he see when the when the angel of death. This was not a demon. This was an angel of death sent to send judgment against the people of of, of Egypt for what they had done uh, to God's people, uh, the nation of Israel. And and he says, when I see the blood in verse number thirteen, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so that's where we get the Passover. will pass over you so jesus is passionately giving his grace to us to his disciples by saying i am the passover lamb through my blood god can pass over your sins so you say well great the people in the church of rome said i can sin as much as i want and and paul says god forbid so look in your notes I I put one author put it this way Jesus is passionate about giving grace to sinners, but he does not give the Passover to ignore sin. He gives grace for us to repent from it. God is wanting us at this moment of Passover, at the moment when our every time our church comes to Bring uh, to come together to bring the blood uh, to the forefront of our memory that his blood was shed and to bring the body being broken to our memory. Every time we study the pastor, every time we study the Lord's table, it is a moment of an examination where we say, Wait a second, the more I reveal the the sin in my life, the more I'm in need of God's grace. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5 that sin abounds, but where sin does abound, Grace does much more abound. Let me tell you, all the preachers out there that are unwilling to say, hey, this sin of lust and the sin of homosexuality and the sin of, 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 of adultery and the sin uh, of, of lying and pride and all of those sins. Listen, uh, if, if a, if a pastor is unwilling to do it, it would be like a doctor unwilling to tell you that you have cancer because he doesn't want to offend you. Grace can only be good as long as you realize your need for it and so sin is pointed out to give grace the chance to address it and so sin is is acknowledged through the truth so that the grace can pour in and we can repent and turn from it so let me let me show you the picture okay now, I don't have any bread, but we do, we, we do have some, uh, something close to it. We have a, a blueberry donut here, okay? So if we're going to break bread, oh, let's just break this. Um, let, let me illustrate it to you this way. When, when, when you eat a donut, now, unless you're just really talented, you can't eat it in one bite, okay? So at some point, either through a bite or with your fingers, you have to break it. But I want you to know that something else was broken and killed so that you could have what you're about to eat, anything. Whatever you're going to eat for lunch, okay? Something died, so that you guys, oh, I'm vegan, nothing died. No, your wheat had to be cut and killed, okay? In order for you to have this. Does that make sense? So everything that brings life in food, you are partaking of that life because it died. Now, the Passover is this. The Passover or the Lord's table is Jesus, don't miss this because this is so important. Jesus saying, I am being broken for you to address your brokenness. You cannot bring wholeness, the wholeness that you want in your family, in your relationships, in your heart, Wholeness cannot come through your own desires, through your own abilities. It is the broken body of Jesus Christ that brings a pathway of wholeness. Let me put it to you this way. Here's a key thought, and that is this, that our usefulness is always tied to our brokenness because if we are not humble, we are no longer useful. If we are not broken enough to say, I cannot fix myself, I cannot fix my family, I cannot fix my situation, my mindset, without the broken body of Jesus uh, uh, enabling me to be whole where I was broken. Listen, we have to come back to the fact that life is tough. Life is hard. But Jesus, the Passover lamb, is what makes it worth it. Now, let me illustrate this in two ways. Uh, Here's a pot. With some, uh, with some angel hair pasta. Okay, if you ever have a, a dinner with an angel, all right, this is what you want to eat right here: angel hair pasta. Dad jokes are flowing this morning, okay. And so you 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 take this, okay. Now I I have never just admittedly cooked this, all right, but I do know something that you have to have hot water and you put it in there, right? You put it in there, and then it 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 softens it, and when you eat it. You know, don't wear a white shirt because it's like a magnet. It's just, it's going to spill, it's going to ruin your shirt. But, but oftentimes, you know, um, a, a cook or a chef, uh, they will, in the process of making this meal, they will break the pasta. And in the breaking of the pasta, they are allowing that pasta to A, cook faster, and B, be more readily able to eat it. It's a lot easier to break pasta that's been broken, all right, than pasta that's a mile long. And you're just like, where? when does this end, right? It doesn't even fit around my fork. So, so here, here's a simple illustration to, to, to show you. When they would sit down at the Passover meal, they would not just eat the lamb. They would not just eat the bread and drink the juice at the end of the meal. There was also, and it mentions this in Exodus, you can go and look at it, it's in your notes, but they would also eat a little bowl of herbs, and they were bitter herbs. And Even to this day, the rabbis would fix the herbs, and they would crush the herbs, and they would pour anointing oil, they would pour olive oil in, and they would crush it, and before anyone could taste the meat, that had been seasoned, and many times they would pour honey over the meat, and it was sweet. And I'm making you hungry right now, okay? So, so here they here, here they are. They they're eating their lamb chops, but before they would ever eat the lamb, they would take the bitter herbs, and, and it would. Have you ever eaten something that was like really tart or bitter? Oh, ha! Ah, man, I don't I don't think I could do another bite of that. And it was to represent the fact that in life there are bitter, difficult, painful. Things to swallow. There are things in life that are tough. There, there are diagnoses that are, that, are, that are unpleasant. There are people that are unpleasant. There are situations that cause pain. But it is in the brokenness of those moments that we realize the sweetness of the lamb. And it gives us a desire to not make life easier, but to uh, accept the lamb of God that makes everything worth it. You see, the lamb of God does not take away the bitterness of our life, but it makes a moment for us to acknowledge what is broken, acknowledge what is has been marred by sin, and allows us to accept it him his presence and his grace so here's here's an action item from this point the grace of god is only good if we recognize what isn't and so i would encourage every person in this room uh one author said that the, the more we look up to polish our our halo the more we'll just be a pain in the neck okay i think there's some truth to that no one here is acting like we're perfect Everyone here has some sin that needs to be turned from. And so it is in the turning from that specific sin that we are naturally wanting to hold on to, that grace is found. And when we turn from that sin, we are surrendering our brokenness to the grace of God and asking for his healing, his forgiveness, his wholeness applied to our account. And so the presence of God is seen in the passion of Christ. The, the, the grace of God is seen in the body, the broken body of Christ. And then finally today, and we're finished. The cup of Christ proves his love. The cup of Christ, it proves his love. I want you to see this in verse number 17. He says, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. We'll talk about the significance of that tonight. And he says, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So the, the marriage supper of the lamb, that's the, that's the moment where we're coming in after we're all welcomed into the kingdom of, of God. Everything, every wrong has been made right. Uh, every every uh, you know, broken part of this world has been made whole. And that's a wonderful time we're looking forward to. That's, he's talking about the kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ, all of that. Verse number 19 uh, he takes the bread, verse number 20. He says, likewise also, the cup after the supper, saying this cup. Everyone say this cup. It was a specific cup. This cup is the New Testament in my blood that is shed for you. The word New Testament is this uh, kanos, uh, ditheke, it, it literally diatheke, means uh, a a new covenant. It means a fresh agreement, an updated arrangement, uh, a different kind of pledge. It was a pledge based based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the blood that was being spilt uh, for the remission of sins, as Hebrews 9 19 through 22 says. And the shedding of blood is the word ekkeo, and it literally means. Uh, poured out. Uh, keo, uh means pour, and ek means out. It, it's, to, it's to empty out, to pour out the cup. Um, I, I think we have a cup and uh, some juice, and, and the whole point of this is that Jesus was on the cross as his blood was being uh, spilt on the cross. He was pouring out the necessary Uh, atonement. He was shedding his blood, providing, as someone provides you nourishment, he was providing a way of escape from your sins. It was the shedding of blood. It was the, as the Bible says, the propitiation. It was the substitute that God required for our sins to be paid for. And so he gave thanks. He was not giving thanks for the pain. In fact, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But the cup shows his love because it, it, it proves the love of not just the son, but it proves the love of the father. How do we know this? Because passionate love is, is sometimes painful, it's sometimes sacrificial, but it's, it's always worth it. I want you to know something. That the love of the father was seen for us when he turned his back on his son. And I want to illustrate it this way as we close today. That Dean, remember Dean Jones, who hopped over that fence, who risked his life to save his son from those flames? God the Father did not do what Dean did for Mike, his son. In fact, God the Father looked up in the stands of eternity and looked into the eyes of me and you, into our hearts and into our future. And he said, because I love them so much, I'm going to keep my son in the flames of that cross. And I am going to allow him to suffer and to die so that others could be freed from the flames of their hell. You say, why would any father watch as their son burns? That's exactly what God did to his son. He allowed him to die the death that I deserve to die. Jesus was the substitutionary atonement. And as a father, I can't imagine sitting there and allowing my son to die. And and it's my passion in life to help and to show love to my son. But I will tell you that that Jesus was was killed for me so that the father could show his passionate love for me. And it's always an action that shows. You see, uh, passionate love is is seen not just in what we say and what we do. And so here's the takeaway. Love in action is what communicates passion through what is done more than what is said. Listen, what Jesus did for you sealed and proved what he has said to you. And so it is the action. Let me show you this in another way, and then we'll pray. And that is Israel, on, on, on the day of the Passover, right after the Passover. They went through, they they left Egypt, a picture of sin. They went through the water of the Red Sea, and they came into the the place of their dwelling, the the promised land. the, The land that God had promised. Jesus, when he was running from Herod, was in Egypt, but he left Egypt, came through the waters, the baptism waters of Jordan, into his deliverance that God had promised to all those who would believe. And as believers, as Christians, we leave our sin, turn from our sin, our wicked ways, which is representative of Egypt, and we come through the waters of baptism into the body of believers, which is the place, the dwelling place of God that he has promised. And I want you to know something, that the the blood that was shed and the body that was broken the Lord's table is one of those ways, one of two. Baptism is one, Lord's table is two, is a way where we can show that we not only are love for Jesus, but also we can recognize his love for us. Now let me, let me, let me put the rubber where, where the rubber meets the road right here, okay? And that is this. Jesus didn't just say his love for you, he proved his love for you. And as we end this Red Letter Love series, it's really important for me to tell you this, that our love for God is proven not in what we say, in what we do. So we are, we, are, we are a church of action. And so here is our final action item of today. And I would encourage everyone to do something. Make your next step of growth, whatever it is. Don't do it for a family member. Don't even do it for yourself. Don't do it for me or your church do it for Jesus, but make it an act of love for Jesus. You say, what is my next growth step? I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. Uh, It might be reading a psalm every week or or every day. Uh, It it might might be, uh, you know, some of you, your growth step might be going through the discipleship uh, one-on-one, you know, with someone else. Uh, Maybe your growth step is getting baptized into the body. Maybe your growth step is is helping, uh, you know, uh, a neighbor to know Jesus. Maybe it's talking to a co-worker that God's placed in your heart to help them through a tough situation. I don't know what your next growth step is, but I will guarantee you something. Every person in this room, from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person in the room, you have a step. And that next step is the way that you can prove your love for Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle find New Life. Have an amazing day.